0: Hello and welcome to Down with the Patriarchy. I'm Ben Richards.
1: And I'm Elia J.O. He's as white and male as they come.
0: And she, well, she isn't. But together, we're hoping to uncover those marginalised composers we don't know so well.
1: That's right. So, Ben, I'm going to gloss over the fact that we are on our 10th episode, because today we've got a very exciting guest. We are joined by the Chief Executive of the City of London Symphonia, a self-proclaimed failed trumpeter and composer, mostly failed conductor, semi-failed semi-pro singer, but... I don't think you can go wrong with being the chief exec of City of London Symphonia. So, Matthew Swan, hello.
2: Welcome. (laughs) Hello, thanks for having me on. I'm a bit nervous.
1: (laughs) Oh, don't be nervous at all. We're a couple of university students who like to have a chat about music. (laughs) But yeah, we're so glad to have you here for our 10th episode. We're a new little podcast, but we're, we're loving getting people on to chat with us. Good,
2: yeah, very excited to be here.
1: In today's episode, we thought we'd go back to a chat that we did briefly touch on in our chat with Dr Dan Elphick in our it was like our third episode or yeah, something episode. way back yeah yeah and we did chat about the canon and how it was formed but we're kind of going to be talking about the canon in its more modern sense today with mm. Matthew Swan.
0: I suppose the the first thing to ask Matthew is in your work with the City of London, Savonia how are you grappling with this issue of the canon and programming? And what do you see as the sort of challenges for a contemporary ensemble in programming canonic music and non-canonic music? And how do you allow your audience to find music that you think that they should be listening to?
2: Wow, what, it's just, that covers, like, everything. Only <laughs> one question. So thanks thanks for that, Ben. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Just, yeah that's a bit of a, a ball nice ball light one to start. Can you just explain how you do your job? Yeah, if you can. Yeah, yeah, that would be really helpful. Really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um I, well the, the canon's a funny thing isn't it i mean yeah. because we we the three of us met at various online sessions that rebecca miller uh yes. had put together yes. um uh the record of the conductor and programmer and curator and all the rest of it and it, it was it was i think this 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 conversation we're having now came from the fact that i said who decided what the canon was yes. I said, yeah i don't, i don't know anybody else that did and i think it, it goes back to this argument that there is nothing wrong with in fact there's lots that is absolutely right with uh, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Haydn, Handel, Mahler, Wagner, Benjamin Britten, all the rest of it. But the, the idea that there is this kind of fixed, set in aspect menu of dead white males that that we, we all program and play. Mm. And anything else beyond that is a kind of is this, this sort of weird exotic aberration is I think is complete nonsense. the, the canon changes all the time if you go back and you look at proms programs from the 20s and 30s, there's composers there that we just don't touch nowadays, but they were hugely popular in their day. Um, you know, you sort of go back to 18th century Vienna, and, you know, Saliera was probably more popular than Mozart. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, I think I gave the example in one of the sessions I was talking to you to about, about Benjamin Britten, who's gone from being the kind of, you know, almost slightly the Entente terrible of of British music in the 50s and early 60s, but certainly someone who was connected with the establishment and and wrote for big national occasions, to becoming this weird exoticism that, that didn't really get done much. And then suddenly in the last sort of 10, 20 years, People are doing Benjamin Britten. I mean, you can't go far across Europe without sort of tripping over productions of Peter Grimes and Billy Budd, yeah. and rightly so. You know, he's one of our greatest composers and and a queer icon as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, the four C in Peter Grimes has become a kind of like, oh we we need something vaguely twentieth century in the concerto slot, but it isn't the concerto. i oh, stick four C interludes in. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 those sort of things, and that's before we even get to the issue of composers from underrepresented groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, both contemporary um, female and Black and ethnic diverse composers and disabled composers and neurodiverse composers, let alone the historical ones. And it's, you know, and you, Ben, you mentioned, sorry, I'm giving, you, you asked me a complicated question, so I'm giving you a complicated fine. Yeah, yeah, I did, stop yeah. one. And then you start looking at, OK, in, in the, the sort of, you know, the few days leading up to this, I was looking at um, a lot of black jazz musicians in, from in the 50s. Mm. People like J.J. Johnson, Quincy Jones, Duke Ellington, mm. Nina Simone. Yeah. Are they, don't, uh, uh, should we put and hold them as jazz musicians? Actually, they were increasingly coming towards classical music, this kind of third stream of jazz. Mm which touched on both, you know, should that be part of the canon? I would argue it was. I mean, Nini Simone wanted to be a classical musician yeah. Yeah. and was prevented from doing so because the Curtis Institute allegedly um, didn't let her in because of her, her race. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. That's... That's, is, is that everything solved? Isn't it, now?
0: <laughs> to be fair, actually, that last point you just made there, I was thinking about this earlier, and I was trying to think about, about how we interact with the canon and how classical music interacts with the music world as a whole in the 21st century and he's talking about people like you know jake eddington wanting to be classical composers i was thinking about i suppose the most contemporary example i could think of was jacob collier i realized that although everything i've heard from him in terms of his output i wouldn't necessarily classify as quote-unquote classical music but if i were to uh, if someone were to ask me what he was i would probably say he was a classical musician in a sense yeah trying to work out why that was do you, do you think do you think there's an element of education there the fact that he understands music from an analytical perspective in a way that perhaps many other people in different genres perhaps don't and don't need to
2: it's funnily enough my wife just bought tickets to jacob collier today for us to oh. take our oh. next next june which i'm very much looking forward to i think he's incredible yeah so he's it, I, I don't know huge amounts about him i i i inadvertently end up listening to a lot of jacob collier because my 16 year old plays a lot of jacob collier quite loudly yeah so i, I mean clearly he's had a classical training yeah. okay so I, I this is no offense to university courses music conservatoires uh, i have done both yeah. but i i do think that certainly in terms of compositional output we have been guilty in the second half of the 20, 20th century and the 21st century of the academicization of com- classical composition. Yeah. Yes. Like.
1: I, it stopped yes.
2: becoming a thing that musicians do and become a very specialist skill. I remember, I won't say whether it was at my undergraduate degree or my postgraduate, I, I did composition as a second study, and I remember putting a piece in front of one person who was very much from that sort of Cambridge New Complexity School right. mm-hmm. that was my composition tutor. And he said, why have you done this in this section? And I said, because it sounded like the right thing to do. And he went, well, maybe, but it doesn't make much academic sense, does it? But that's
1: not why I'm
2: writing the music. <laughs> no, that's not why it? And I, I, that was one of the reasons why I ran away from the circus for a few years. I just thought, I don't want any part of yeah. um, it. I, I, yeah, I mean, J- Jacob Coddy is probably a very good example, as is Duke Ellington, as is Mozart, actually, of someone that never had that formal training in the sense of a, an institution that, that kind of sat down and said, this is how you write a fugue. Those skills are important. If you want to write a fugue, you know, you, you, you need to sit down and spend time with Bach, obviously. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we've, 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 we've kind of, we've, we've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole. And I think that's, that's part of, I mean, it, my, my understanding of this podcast is it's supposed to kind of bust lots of myths about composing as this sort of white male cisgendered heteronormative yeah. thing. Mm. Um, and I, but I do think that's, that's part of it because, you know, white male cisgendered heteronormative people tend to be drawn towards those kind of structures of power. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of the people we're talking about perhaps thrive in a slightly different environment. I don't know. No, now, I... I do know, but I'm I'm hedging. I'm I'm sounding apologetic where I have no need to sound apologetic. Does that all that makes yeah. sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's such a good point. I actually was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. Um, we were talking about how most dancers in all forms of dance, bit jazz, modern, musical theatre, all start off as ballerinas. They all have the balletic training from a young age because it's just a technical thing. Yeah. So. Like you were saying about Nina Simone, always wanted to be a classical singer. It just—it reminds me well, of a classical very...
2: composer and a classical, gem, yeah, a classical yeah. pianist. She she only sang because the the owner of the casino or the bar she was playing in Atlantic City said, "I'll give you more money if you sing as well as, well as play." Oh, right. Well,
1: there you go. Honestly, when I think of Nina Simone, the first thing I kind of associate her with is "I Love You, Porgy," and that's that's just what I think of. And obviously, Gershwin is a kind of crossover composer, but also it made me think of I don't suppose anyone watched Britain's Got Talent about five years ago it was probably a while ago a fantastic pianist composer producer called Tokyo Myers was on and he was a person of colour with fantastic dreadlocks all tied up on top of his head and he came in and played a very beautiful rendition of Fur Elise or something which of course the audience loved because they love hearing things that they know and then Tokyo then launched into this incredible kind of dubstep version of it. And he was trained at the Royal College of Music. I think Mm -hmm. he had a scholarship and wouldn't have been able to study there without it. And I went to see him at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival a few years ago. And I took my grandma (laughs) with me because I thought she'll love this. She's a classically trained pianist herself. And I thought she's going to love this. And then she'll absolutely hate it. And she was trapped in this really low ceiling room with noise and bodies. And it's the most COVID unsecure thing you could possibly imagine. (laughs) And it was incredible. And it was that crossover between canonic music, which people know and love, and something entirely new that brought an entire new generation into classical music that I loved. Sorry, that was really long winded, but. It Just my train of thought carried me there.
2: Yeah, well, that's the joy of podcasts. You can be a bit long-winded. Yeah, you don't have an editor <laughs> saying, "Stop talking." Exactly.
1: <laughs> We've also got this situation at the moment where people are just so comfortable listening to the Bachs and the Beethovens and the Mozarts, mm. and people know what they like. And I'd quite like to get onto something about the Hall of Fame or something like that in a in a few minutes, but. Audiences love what they're comfortable with. And we were saying how festivals like the proms do their bit to draw all forms of music in. You've got classical music and they bring jazz in, elements of pop that come into it. It's not just about classical music. And that does add some kind of diversity. What are your but I think
2: that you touched on a, <laughs> another important subject. I, mean, I this... You know, lots lots of people do this, and I'm not suggesting that prompts do it at all. And I've, I've got some very good mm. friends there, um, but I think there is a tendency for a lot of organisations in classical music to approach artists from different music genres, who are very often artists from underrepresented backgrounds, mm. and say, "We want you to do this specific thing. We want we want you as a as a round peg to fit this square yeah. hole." and therefore we have then done the box ticking exercise and we can do a bit of virtue signaling and we're fine we're not the racists because we engaged artist xyz to work yeah. with repertoire ab and c and it's i feel that it's the wrong way round and i think this is something that i i i hope we have done at the london symphony and, and i hope that the artists that we've we've engaged with would would say this but I think what we need to start doing more of is going to these artists and say, whether they're the female artists or, or black and diverse or neurodivergent or whatever, and say, what is it that you want to realise? What, what, what creative vision have you got? Um, and the same, actually, with our own musicians in the orchestra, rather than sit down, shut up, play these notes, play them in the right order and rehearse quickly, please, because we've not got a lot of money. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what do they want to do as creative artists? Because most, I mean, certainly orchestral musicians in this country are not treated as creative artists. They are treated as incredibly proficient technical yeah. artisans who produce the same thing over and over again. So, you know, in going to someone like a, a Genevieve Lacey or a Roderick Williams or a Data or a, a Sam Lee, you know, what, what is it that you want to, to bring to City of London Symphonia? What can we help you achieve? Because that's much more interesting for me, it's sitting down and sort of doing that, that kind of male ego programming, like, oh, I, I know Mozart catalogue numbers better than you do, and I can remember every single nickname to Overson the Haydn symphony. is just really <laughs> boring. And, yeah, people do want to listen to Mozart and Haydn and Bach and Beethoven, and so do I, you know, in the thing that you said earlier, my, my kind of desert island one disc was the Bart b minor Yeah. Because
1: yeah.
2: it's got almost everything in it. Um, but... I want to listen to these other things as well. Um, and quite often, I think, you know, when you've worked with a, a Gwyneth Simcock or a Cleveland Watkiss or a, or a you know a Genevieve or a Cheryl Francis Hode or whatever, then coming back to this this core cool canon, for want of a better phrase, with fresher eyes actually is is quite good. It stops it being so kind of same all the time.
1: No, I love that. I love the idea of kind of flipping everything on its head. That's what Ben and I are trying to do a bit more of, um, yeah. You know, in
2: our in our in in our lives, really. Yeah, I mean, I look at some of the big institutions in classical music in this country. I am definitely not going to name names, but quite often they're not run by people; they're run by the structure. Yeah. So it's making any kind of change is really, really difficult because the structure serves the people that yeah. are there, and they're big behemoths. And so, therefore, you you go and work with a, a female composer or a black composer or, or someone from a different from a different music genre. It's about get having to get that artist to fit within your structure, not saying what can you, what can we help you to to bring. You're the artist for goodness yeah. sake, you know.
0: I think actually one of the things that's, that just sprung to mind for me is that uh, Holloway at the moment, me and Ellie are really lucky that the choir's got its first composer in residence, Nathan Dearden, who's a contemporary. I, I'm not sure whether he labels himself as a queer composer, but I mean you know he, you know that is what he is, and what's really interesting about that collaboration what i'm the impression i'm getting is that exactly what you're saying here that there's a sense of right what do you want to do how can this be a situation where it's a dialogue and it's not just we want you to do this and then kind of scuttle away um and kind of let's get on with it and yeah. to the point where we, we were he'd written a piece for us that we performed we were rehearsed the other day and he came in and listened to it and now he's taken it away and completely changed it and it's like a sort of organic process of composition where we're kind of providing that sort of immediate audio imprint for him as a composer
2: but you see that's that's really interesting ben and this this is something that affects all creatives in classical music whatever background whatever identity they've got we are absolutely am i allowed to swear on this podcast
1: absolutely yeah
2: (laughs) we are absolutely fucking terrible in classical music at research and development and when i say fucking terrible i mean we just don't do it and if you if you look at the world of Film or theatre or or literature even or or visual art, every big new project comes with a time to research and development stuff. And you're presenting Nathan bringing <clears throat> you a work, you singing it, and then him going away and changing it like it's it, it's an unusual thing, and it is an unusual thing in classical music. No. but it shouldn't be. Yeah, it should be a perfectly normal thing to do. You know, composers histor- historically have gone away and. You know, sort of written stuff and it's not worked in the first performance, so they've tweaked it and all the rest of it because they weren't under the spotlight of everything being on YouTube and everything being reviewed all the time and all the rest of this sort of stuff. And I have a theory that part of the reason that historically we don't have, well, part the main reason historically we don't have uh, female and um, black and ethnically diverse composers in, in the canon, he says with doing quotation marks in the air, is because of rank misogyny and racism. But part of the barrier to do with that is the fact that these individuals were never allowed to feel. And if you if you are a composer from a sort of traditional background in the last Mm. 70 years, you've gone to a school or a music service that has very, very good music. You've done that very sort of cisgendered male thing of like, I want to be a composer. So I'm just going to will it into existence and I'm going to write stuff and I'll get it wrong, and someone will say, oh, it doesn't matter, it was a really good effort, why do you try this? But a, a, a woman or a black composer comes along, and if it's not perfect straight away, it's, well, it's because they're a woman, or because they mm. are from this background, or whatever. And I do, I, I have no academic research to back that up whatsoever, but I am absolutely convinced that it's a hypothesis that is true, um, which I realise is a very white, male, cisgender, thing to say. No, I it's my I hypothesis, therefore yeah. is true, but...
1: I I think that's true and black woman here is completely supporting that so
2: don't worry about
0: that Okay, good, thank you from what we've we've looked at you know, you think about Samuel Coleridge Taylor for example he was revered for for one particular work and then after that things just sort of started to fall away for him and he had this great success and then subsequent compositions were sort of not received so warmly and then you, you wonder why he's not as well known as he could be and you think, well, that 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 might mm. be it. And also, yeah. I find as well is that when you see the sort of classical, classic way these days, the pedestrian way, I think of of programming new music is to stick the commission in at the opening of a program, which is which has got a big white cisgendered symphony or concerto or something in afterwards, which is why people have, which is what you, which is what bringing bring the people in. And the problem with those is that they get they get the commission. They get paid. They, they write the piece of music. It gets performed. They get their round of applause. And then often we never see that piece ever again. And, and that's the start and the end. Yeah.
2: Of- then there's, there's no relationship, there's no relationship no, with just- the ensemble. They are, they are commissioned through their publisher. They write this thing. It's given half an hour to rehearse at the end of probably quite a stressful rehearsal situation and shoved in in the contemporary music yeah. sandwich slot. You know, the sort of thing between, well, if don't put it in the second half because people are leaving yeah. at the interval. So stick it right at the end of the first half when no one can leave. Yeah. Or right at the beginning. But we're not building relationships. And also you mentioned that thing about Samuel Coleridge-Taylor being well known for one particular piece. Let's be honest, not all of every composer, Samuel Coleridge-Taylor included composers, uh, uh, not every composer's output is oh. uniformly brilliant. And I think that, you know, female and black composers are, are unjustly sort of attacked because of that. Have you listened to the Beethoven call Fantasia? It's or the um, Wellington Sieg, which you is also awful. Oh, just <laughs> yeah. dire. And all that stuff last year about we're going to perform every single piece of Beethoven. I can't remember which orchestra was it was. I like, really? I was like, going to ask how you... to you do that? I was gonna a lot ask of ask it's rubbish.
0: One of the saving graces of COVID was that we didn't have to spend a year prattling on about beethoven for 12 months um i thought we might i thought that perhaps that was i mean i love beethoven in you know in, in bits of it but i I was quite glad that we didn't spend an entire year you know go, going being forced to go to concerts that, <laughs> that featured his and only his music you know
1: i was actually just thinking about this we did one concert at st john smith square last beethoven year nine, yeah. Of, yeah we did beethoven nine and Actually, we've got a CD of that coming out in a few days. <laughs> Keep your ears. Bad times. We just um, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oops. Don't tell Rupert. Uh, but in the first half of it was this piece called Number Five, oh, Number God. Five, yeah. which was <laughs> a good Sorry. reaction. But it was based around Beethoven, and when it was performed, I remember everyone just kind of being like, "Oh." Isn't, All right, let's, isn't that also let's part get, of the problem that, you know,
0: you're asking a your contemporary composer, so what we want you to do is we want you to, to do something, you know, new with something that's already been done. And so therefore we're already removing the agency from, from, you know, we're not giving you the reins. We're sort of going, well, you're obviously not as good as Beethoven, but why don't you do your best to kind of reinvent this wheel for us in the contemporary? I just think, isn't that just a bit, I mean, like sometimes I suppose it could be quite interesting, but I find that that's just a little bit patronising nothing
2: else i i i don't think there's anything wrong with with asking a composer to write a specific brief um uh, i think that quite often that that has happened all the way through history i think that the issue comes when and i I don't know this current situation so i I can't comment on whether that happened or not i think the issue comes where it's like oh well let's get that composer because they represent this background to do this thing we want them to do Mm -hmm. rather than finding the right person musically from whatever background they came from by the way, which includes doing a thorough search to make sure you are including lots of people from underrepresented groups yeah. in that search because that's how you get the highest possible quality by having the biggest possible talent yep. pool, by the way. Um, so I'm not saying, by the way, to you too i I'm saying, by the way, to anyone who's sort of going, oh, but it's all about quality. No, quality includes... Going to the biggest talent pool, shut up, mm. it's a ridiculous argument. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's when thought doesn't go into stuff like that. We, we, need, we need a fanfare to open this new building or whatever, this new arts complex. Okay, let's, let's go to the uh, disabled female composer that writes really kind of folk-influenced, um, esoteric uh, electronica. Um, not not because we want Anisa electro electronic folk influenced fanfare, but because she's yes. female and disabled. Mm. It's just you know, come on, you know, there's, there's there's another composer out there that will do a much better job, and you're doing her a massive disservice yeah. by sort of making that that mismatch. Let's do you research and development people spend money on research and development?
1: Oh, sorry, <laughs> no, I that I completely agree. It's that idea of box ticking. Yeah. And there are just so many arguments all over all the social media platforms that are just like, oh, but it should just be the best person for the job. It doesn't matter what their gender is, but oh, that
2: bothers me well, no, that was so it, it's they're missing half the argument if that really is the argument they want to play no it doesn't matter what the other person is but part of making sure you get the right person is going to the widest possible talent pool and at the moment we do not have the widest possible talent pool in classical music because we're missing mm. so many people out because they don't see enough people that look like you Ellie for yeah. example
0: and, and, and it's it's such a it's such a deeply rooted problem isn't it because you say well no black musician or no Queer musician applied. Well, then you need the next question should surely be: Well, why have they had the appropriate support, in their youth to encourage their talent? Have they seen other people uh, that look like them in the industry? Do they feel that, that even the even that it's a safe space in for which they can in which they can express themselves freely? If you, if you just say, well, they're, they're not applying, so it's not really our problem, then you are basically just by dis, you know by dismissing it, you are effectively just allowing this kind of. You're perpetuating,
2: you're perpetuating the it. You, well, you, you are. You, you're, you're kicking it down the, t- yeah. the talent pipeline effectively. You're saying it's not our fault. It's the fault of the conservatoires, and then the conservatoires say, "Well, it's not our fault. It's the fault of the music yeah. services in the schools," and then they all sort of say, "Well, it's it's the fault of you know government not having enough funding." And government turn around and say, "What if you were a more diverse yeah. sector, we'd give you more money." So <laughs> it just seems a bit. It's it's everyone's responsibility. Just just do mm. something. You know, for goodness' sake and make sure it actually properly represents what the artists you're engaging with want to do and not you sort of saying, we've done it now. Thank you very much. Can we have some money, please? Arts Council of England, Stroke Creative yeah. Scotland, Street yeah. Arts Council of Wales um, and for Northern <laughs> Irish people. Um, you know, it's, it's just yeah. just nonsense, quite frankly.
1: Oh, that was brilliant. Very cathartic. I I, I <laughs> the just Arts Council is, of Northern I guess, Ireland. I do
2: know that. I do know that.
1: I could just listen to these conversations all day. Sorry if I'm not doing very much talking. It's just so interesting. Do you have any thoughts about, I mentioned it briefly earlier, about Hall of Fame and where we keep these composers who always end up in the same top 10 in this glass box and we just shuffle around the order. Do you have any thoughts about the Hall of Fame and what we can do to kind of break it or if it's a good idea or...
2: It's that classic ascending yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Other, other radio stations, are when they do a top ten every year. Yeah. And I think for a, a number of years on the trot, the yeah. lark ascending yeah. is yeah. always at the top. Exactly. I mean, the lark ascending is, yeah. is a brilliant piece of music. Mm. It's completely beautiful. Um, and unusually, it's not being spoiled by massive over-familiarity, mm. at least not to my ears. Mm. Um, but part of the reason it's popular, it's, it's a fantastic piece of music, part of the reason it's popular is because it is yeah. familiar. And therefore yeah. it's comforting and it's 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 safe. Um, you know, even I, I'm one of his greatest proponents, but I, even I would admit it's not exactly, you know, sort of breaking down any barriers in terms of, you know, the sort of tonal world of um early twentieth century <clears throat> English music. Um but it's very, very familiar. Um, you know, at the Beethoven Nine is very, very familiar. Uh, and yeah. actually weird. Beethoven, like, if you think about it, think of the opening of the last movement. I mean, that's just an incredible cacophony a, a yeah. sort of lunacy. And then you guys have sung it, so have I. You come in and you sing it. It's an exhausting thing. It's like sort of being punched yeah. in the larynx for 10 minutes, <laughs> but it's hugely <laughs> popular. Why? Because it's done yeah. lots and lots and lots, and people know it well. Um, and I think the only way we can change this is by saying, right, okay, Someone like me, I am going to program more Hollis Taylor. I am going to program more Charles Francis Hoad. I'm going to program more Ample I'm going to work more with Shimmick data I'm going to work more with Genevieve Lacey, all of these people. And their, their music and their way of working becomes more and more and more familiar. Um, And I think the charge is being led by smaller ensembles like City London Symphony, because we don't have that structure to manage Mm -hmm. us. We manage the structure and and we don't necessarily have all those processes in place, which could be a bad and a good thing. But it's just it's it's familiarity. I mean, composer like Hannah Peel, for example, a how on earth do you categorize Hannah Peel? You probably don't. But the, you know, with people are starting to listen to Hannah Peel on Game of Thrones and, and things like that because she's written music for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know Hannah Peel's album uh, Mary Cassio, by the way, it's just phenomenal. I've, uh, Electronica and meets brass, brass bands. It's just the most stunning album ever. Go and listen to it right now. I'll, I'll
1: put um, that on our stories. <laughs> um,
2: and uh, but you know, if, if people started programming. Hannah Peel more. I mean, six music on on BBC plays it all the time. The more that happens, the more that someone like her will become part of a kind of of fame, if you like.
1: Mm. Do you find that when you're programming things that are less well-known, that the tickets don't sell as well, or that you don't draw the same audiences you draw? If you were to do a whole concert of Beethoven, would that draw more than a whole concert of new music?
2: I think... I think it, that in part depends where you are geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work with some venues outside London, and I, I understand why why they do this, and you know that they have to be quite safe in their programming because they they've got an audience, and they will they will drive them away, and they're not yet in a position where they 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 feel brave enough to sort of say, okay, well let's look for a new audience. Mm-hmm. Um, in London, I think it's slightly different. Quite often at CLS, we we market not on not on the repertoire, but on a theme or an experience. Um, yeah, if we put bark down, we get a lot more people in. Um, mm. uh, that that's that always seems to be the one that, that, that draws people to, towards. I don't know why we become sort of you know popular for doing bark. Seems that, anyway, but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> not going to analyse too much because I really <laughs> like bark. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's it's. I, I don't I don't feel certainly in London compelled to do the kind of okay overture concerto symphony. Otherwise, mm. our, our audience will disappear. We we did um we did a, a tour around um, cathedrals in the UK all the way from down from Truer right up to, to Bradford and Sheffield in autumn twenty nineteen.
1: Oh, I read
2: about did, that. Yeah, yeah. We did we mm. about eight cathedrals in total. We, uh, it was a wonderful programme uh, featuring uh, lots of Debrinka Tabatonis music, um, mm-hmm. lots of Arvo Pert, um and Debrinka yep. was the kind of main thing. And we invited people to sort of move around, follow the performance around each building, and really explore the space and the architecture and the acoustics of Arvo Pet as well. So mm. it, was, it was fantastic for that kind of stuff. Got sort of really well received. It was broadcast on Radio 3. It's part of the reason why we were. of the runners up for the rps Royal for society ensemble awards um last year we we won the impact Award, by the way just just saying Um, (laughs) but we didn't get big audiences
0: Um,
2: yeah we're really small audiences in in some cases um and at the time i kind of thought oh this is awful this is great and if we did this in london we'd pack the place out um but we didn't get great audiences there and a couple of the, I felt a bit bad about, a bit down about this. And then I spoke to some of the directors of music at the cathedral, because we work with the cathedral choir in each place. And they turned around and they said, this is incredible. We've never had anything like this before. You need to come again and do it again and again and again, because people will realise what an amazing thing it is. So like, okay, fine. If you, if you change your programming and you, you put a program on a contemporary female composers. Are you going to fill the Royal Festival Hall? Actually, the Royal Festival is not a good example because Gillian probably would fill the Royal Festival Hall like doing that. <laughs> but are you going to fill, uh, you know, a, a big venue in, in a Guildford or a, mm. a you know, Leeds Town Hall or whatever? I can say that. I'm from Leeds. Um, <laughs> the first time you do it, no, you are not. Might you do it the fifth time? Probably no. Might you do it the fifth yeah. time? Yeah, maybe actually. Yeah, it takes time. You know, Marla wasn't popular when he was first around. Bach was a, a kind of we're going back to Bach all the time. Bach was a a kind of quite a good provincial yeah. church musician. Yeah, you know it's it's you know history will will, will do far better judging of, of who we are and what we what we do and the mm. progress we make than, than we will. But in the meantime, it takes time. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna get thousands of thousands of thousands of people to listen to a new Cheryl Francis Hode commission at the moment, but yeah. we will in time if we keep doing it. I was,
0: do you think, sort of looking ahead to the future, do you think there are reasons to be cheerful w- with work that you're doing with CLS and with new music? Do you, do you feel that, you know, it's, it is like turning around an oil tanker, but do you think it's beginning to stick? And there's there's reasons to be hopeful that, that you know, within the next 10, 20 years that, that this is just going to be more normalized and more appreciated?
2: Yeah, I I, I am yeah. cautiously optimistic um, for a number of reasons. I think that the last year—I mean, the last year has been an absolute mm. tragedy mm. on on every possible level. And uh, the, the the big sort of political shift in terms of the UK's relationship with its closest neighbours, Brexit, has been mm. an absolute tragedy. Mm. Um, but never mm. waste a crisis. Uh, And I think it's 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 actually it's guys like you that have sort of sat down and said, right, this now is the time to really push it um, and be an activist and do things that are going to affect change. And I can't pretend that every single one of my peers would agree with that. There is a cohort of leaders in classical music in the UK at the moment that want to see change are prepared to sort of pick up the metaphorical baseball bat and you know smash through a few places if they need to um i think there are others that are desperate to go back to as was as soon as possible and just don't understand why all these people are so angry because we did that female composer three three years ago (laughs) didn't we um so yeah and it's it changed sometimes you know there's huge moments of change and you 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 sort of think well this is the moment everything's going to change actually the the change turns out to be sort of incremental in, in some ways um, but and also you know we, we've got uh, there's there's a lot of right-wing rhetoric about yeah. at the moment um, but sometimes during this but if you think back to the 80s um, obviously you cannot <laughs> think back to the 80s because you weren't born. <laughs> I can okay so in in the early 80s early 80s was the kind of high yeah. point of Thatcherism so he was going around smashing the unions we had three million people on the dole queue Liverpool was about to be abandoned, basically as a city. Um, you know some yeah. really appalling things. So what what happened with the kind of the, the, the aggressive elements of society? That's the time when you alternative comedy really bloomed, and out of alternative comedy came what has been what what I refer to would have referred to at the time as, as political correctness. I think the far better term is polite consensus. But a lot of that sort of comedy which eventually became mainstream and said, you cannot use racial slurs and misogynistic slurs in in light entertainment anymore. It is totally unacceptable. And that was a huge shift. If you look back at TV in the 70s and people like Bernard Manning and 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 all that sort of stuff, this massive shift occurred right when things were kind of being pushed in, in extreme directions in, in what I would argue sensible progressive direction on, on the left and more extreme directions on the right. Um, so I, I, all of those things can be cause for optimism. But I think the fact that a lot of people are standing up and saying, OK, it's no longer good enough to use a female composer and, or a black soloist. You have to change not everything you do but you have to change the structure in which you're doing it and I think part Mm -hmm. of that is as it goes back to sort of you know engaging with artists having the widest possible talent pool as possible when you when you engage with artists from underrepresented backgrounds find out what they want to do don't get them to meet your structures but it is it is is, sorry I just interrupted you
1: no, 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 you go. You have on fun with the
2: That is not true, because you'll be managing orchestra <laughs> in 20 years and I'll, and I'll be retired, I hope. Um, um, yeah, it's, yeah I, I've totally forgot my train of thought now. Whatever you were going to say, it's more interesting. <laughs> go ahead.
1: Well, I, I, I was just going to say, I remember a time um, about just kind of smashing down barriers. I remember a time with my singing teacher, and I will never name them, um, many years ago um back when I I was probably about 15 or 16 and I was singing a song from I think it was it was the king and I or something like that and she she said um that a lot of places are very apprehensive about putting it on because you have to have a cast of people from that background but she she does and she was saying this to me Mm. um she she doesn't understand what's wrong with just putting a bit of that makeup on and getting back out and 15 year 16 year old ellie's response was just like i know Mm. right i can't believe it it's bizarre political correctness gone mad and obviously i kind of it hadn't really occurred to me that 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 was one a really Mm -hmm. rubbish response two a really appalling thing for them to say in the first place and three something that people were thinking and I just remember now, if it was me, I would have lost my bananas. I would have gone absolutely mental. Um, but I think it's a fear that people don't want to change things. As we did say, in classical music, we're so stubborn and we're so used to a certain way of life that to disrupt the balance would be to completely change the way people perceive classical music. But I don't think that's a bad thing at all.
2: No, it's, it's, I think it's just, not i mean king and i wow that's a, a film that has not stood the no. test of time very well um <laughs> but yeah it's it's I, you know I, I i we will there will still be a place for big consequences in 20 years time uh yeah. but, but you know change change has to come i think change is coming it will make for a better place for everybody The the point about diversity and inclusion in a sector like classical music is it makes life better for people like me and people like Ben, as well as yeah. people yeah. like you, Ali. You know, yeah. it, is, it is not about me giving up mm. something. It is about me saying there is a better way to do things that, that, that suits everybody, um, including me. You know, I, I will be in a happier, friendlier, less mm. ego-driven work environment. That, that's, no. that's not a bad thing. You know all the all the sort of macho stuff about knowing more about mozart catalogue numbers or you know sort of you know telling you know war stories of when a conductor threw his you know sort of you know toys out the pram and you know all that sort of stuff if we get rid of that oh thank goodness is your life yeah. is not a bit better and it's you know that's that's the reason I, I no i agree that. and i think anyway. uh,
0: you know from from my perspective having you know this the last sort of what two months of doing this podcast like i am not very good at uh finding music unless i'm performing it you know it's sort of having to discuss so sort of force mm. it wrong but, but sort of knowing hey every week we've we've got to you know we've got we're presenting a new composer um as a result of that you know i my you know the playlists on my on my Apple Music are are now vastly different, and the pieces that I go to now uh, are might have once been Tchaikovsky, and now might be Mahler, and or somebody else, whatever it is. And I I really like that because it, it it just proves the point, doesn't it? That that the only reason that that I didn't know those people before was because I wasn't looking hard enough, and and it it you know I think you just very quickly realise that you don't you don't need to sit there with your arms folded going, Well, I wonder if this is gonna be any good because you realise that actually they are. They're really bloody good. Um and, and the reason why they're yeah. not known is not yeah. because they're not really <laughs> bloody good. And there, maybe there are lots of people that we know yeah. and they're not very good. Um you know and and, and I think it, yeah. it's just all of that
2: Okay, I'm. I'm going to ask you a question, a really mean question. Who, it, 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 who, are the three most overrated composers in the inverted commas? Camera? Oh, oh. Okay, come on, oh, both I, of I you. Could, I'll happily one. go off on this one. Yeah, because I need to think
1: about
2: this.
1: Then, do you want me to go first? Oh,
2: you've got yours ready, have you, Ellie? Okay, yeah, go on, then. Yeah. I've
1: got mine ready. <laughs> um. Oh, I'm. I actually have four. Um, I. This is completely just my personal preference. I'm very much into my kind of. Shostakovich and Drone and less Mm. traditional tonal stuff so personally for me I'm gonna go with Mahler sorry Mahler Beethoven and Mozart done I'm sorry I said it
2: (laughs) Mahler Beethoven and Mozart okay uh, Ben if you love Mahler read his letters you won't anymore um Um, okay Ben go three composers who were overrated
0: um um Oh, Wagner, just because I just can't be dealing with all that. I just I'm not really an opera person anyway. Um, that's that's really lazy of me. Um, I agree with Ellie Mozart because the only thing I actually like of his like his choral music, and and that's 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 also quite lazy. And then I can I can I just can I just room one hundred one the English choral tradition, <laughs> the the fan fan um, fanatical English choral tradition um, loyalists. I'm going to go with... That's really obvious yeah. Okay. I'm not pinning Mike to any specific I'll last year. Out. I'm never going to get a job in the call industry now because i basically just said I don't like any of them. Um, but just
2: that <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> My three, for the record. Yes. Philip, Philip Glass. Yes. Uh, because basically every time I listen to Philip Glass, I think, why yeah. isn't this Steve Reich? Uh, Bruckner, because yeah. it's just dull. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Mozart, because he's not as good as Haydn. And you know that sort of trope that everyone says, Oh, you won't really understand Mozart till he than he was when he dies. That's true, because what you don't understand is he's not as good Ooh. as Haydn. Anyway, we're, we're, we're talking about all the composers that this podcast no. is not supposed to talk about. But awesome. luckily, all the composers we want yeah. to get rid of are fair, all one male. One of
0: the that Ellie and I did discuss yeah. when we first thought i think about this podcast was, do we dare to do a couple of episodes where we where we dare to question the authority of certain members of the canon? So actually, this this little spiel we've just spoken about now is actually kind of... That is we, we we were thinking of doing that at some point. Um and I think actually, you know, fundamentally I think what's more important is is obviously us talking about the composer that we don't know so well. But actually it's quite nice sometimes to go, do you know what? I really don't get this because I just don't, you know
2: Do you know what? It's not it's not a problem that no. other art forms have. Yeah. Literature, visual art, theatre doesn't have any problem with looking at something that's historically lauded and going, It's not actually that good in three contemporary eyes no,
1: that's very, it's very just yeah. classical music
0: it's weird and it's, it's so, so much of it like the it's even to the point of what people wear you know men stopped wearing white tie for evening dress post world war Two, and yet you you go to a most classical music concert in the uk and that's what they wear and you just think well no one in the audience is wearing that so it's not now it's become sort of sort of period costume yeah. in a weird way and, you know, in all fairness, when these pieces were being written and they were being performed, they were anchored in their time.
2: OK, so I'm going to, I'm going to say something potentially controversial on. on this podcast now. I don't like White Time Tales either. The danger is if you get rid of them, yeah, so that's no, all you do. Because it, it is yeah. a show. It categorically yeah. is a show. I used to work at the Roundhouse before I came to City of London to in Camden. And everything there was referred to as a show. And you, you were made to think about lighting and set dressing and all of those things as much as you were about what yeah. you went on on the stage. And it was because it was really important. It's like, what are they going to wear? It's not a question of not wearing white tie and tails. OK, if you're not wearing white tie and tails, um, and of course, that is a, a dress code, which is only specific for, for no. men because there isn't a female equivalent, um, yeah. at least not, no. in, you know, sort of since World War Two. Um, what it's, it's not a question of saying, oh well, we'll just wear just wear all black. I mean, at City London Symphony, generally just just wear all black. But we now think about what we are doing in our performance. What, how are we going to light it, or how we're going to present it, how we're going to move around the mm. space, we're going to use the space. If all you're doing is saying, oh, we've got rid of it, so it's fine. No, it's not fine. All the other structures yeah. are still the same. Yeah, you know, it's it's just. So in a, in, a, it's in a way, if you, all you're going to do is not wear white tie and tails, I'd rather you just kept them yeah. on because it really makes no difference. And I'd rather you just look like a bunch of pricks, yeah. frankly, because it makes me look better. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it makes it very easy, white tie and tails, it makes it very easy with certain big symphony orchestras to realise that, well, string sections might be majority female, not on the front desk yeah, so much. Yeah, that's very true. why that is. very true. Very true. Yeah, exactly. Um so yeah I, I but yeah it is it is categorically a show it always should be a show if all you think about is what we're going to play it's pay. about the whole experience no. yeah yeah totally thank yeah. you
1: so much for chatting with us
0: hey it's been thank fun a, I, I think, I think could, we have a limit just we're 59.59 aren't we on this um, so we're going to have to wrap it up
1: <laughs> Oh, I, I've only just gone back to my notes and seen the time. Oops. Um, so, thank, you. thank you so, so much for joining us, Matthew. Pleasure. We've absolutely loved having you. Lovely here. to
2: talk to you both. And I, I meant what I said, you know, it's not going to be me managing orchestras in 20 years' time or performing on stage, it's you guys. So, you know.
1: Thank you. Get on that it. That means a lot keep, for keep, both
2: of us. Keep the baseball bat handy. Smash the windows in. Metaphorically. <laughs> Metaphorically. <laughs> I've
1: got a hockey stick, is that all
2: right? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much,
1: Matthew. <laughs> thank you. I hope that you get back to doing un-Covid time performances yes. soon and that you get to that performance of Jacob Collier.
2: I hope so too, yes. Yeah.
1: And we'll come and see you in London.
2: Please do. Please well, do.
1: We'll come and see you Thanks, a Thank you, thank thank you guys. so much,
2: Matthew. Bye. You. <laughs> Bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to us having an amazing chat with Matthew Swan, the Chief Executive of the City of London, Corporation, And what a man. It's like uh, he's I, just, I just broken all the I barriers like how himself.
0: Angry I he is about all of these issues. It's great.
1: And so he should be. It's so great from the perspective of a black female that there is yeah. a white male in his privileged, kind of powerful position who's just gone stop everyone yeah, thinks I was stupid li- and blind I was and literally just thinking exactly it. the
0: same thing it's so that's what we need. because I think you know it's it's almost expected that we hear we hear these these arguments made by people of color and by female voices and queer voices and it's so refreshing to see somebody who you would who who if you were to judge based on appearance alone you know you'd expect to just be upholding the old patriarchal structures to actually come out the blocks and I think just for to, uh, to the first swear words on the Patriarchy Pod. Yeah, this is, not, this is not a family show anymore. Um,
1: no, <laughs> you know,
0: I mean, but like, but that's great because it, it it it's not life or death. But the thing is, is that these are important issues, and he's you know he's right to be angry, and I think it's that kind of passion that that means that somebody in his position of power is, is that that combination is electric because it means that you're you're only going to get good results from that. You're only going to get these these glass ceilings and these barriers being smashed to pieces you know what a great exactly. man
1: exactly oh what a yeah, great man very good. What a great chat as well so, so <laughs> thank you guys take care everyone. we will see you on eastern monday bye